garden hose. More often than not, that stout receptacle is the first thing I see when I wake, or the first thing I hug and plunge my head into, depending on how hard the clown was covering the night before. Specifically, how many times he yelled, SHOTS! or something equally adolescent, down the whole length of the bar before someone in a position of authority forcibly retired him for the night. I sleep on the couch in my study a lot more often than I sleep in my bed, because I usually can't make it up the stairs. And so it was on Monday, when I woke to find the strange pink bile-flecked piece of origami perched on a slick of Jameson like some oblivious flamingo sunning itself on an oil spill. Pink is not a color I confess to, on paper anyway. That's a really tired cliché of fragile masculinity, I realize. But there it is. Predictable and true. In that, as in so much else, I'm drearily typical. Not that I haven't gone the other way. I've embraced the macho pastel in the past, and that's more embarrassing to admit. I wore the pale pink polo for a semester in college to show I wasn't afraid, and I swore more colorfully then, too, about all the pinkest parts of the female anatomy, just in case there was any doubt. But there's always been doubt. How could there not be doubt when this person, this image that is me, is not organic, not grown out of the common ground and the consensus of culture into solid conforming meat that is exactly what it looks like? A dude. I am not that. I was never that. I was a child built by committee, and then a man by osmosis. I'm a plastic cast of put-on, pumped-up, artificial dude-ness at best, that bears absolutely no resemblance to the freak-show insect boy beneath. I look like I stepped out of a catalog, because I did. I memorized myself from movies and men's magazines. I'm not a person. I'm a facsimile. As far from myself as the Antipodes, and, big surprise coming here, I drink to cover the distance. My teenage years were ones of vengeful transformation. In the mirror as I watched myself grow into the sculpture of my parents' good genes, and out in the world where I saw the pagan beauty of my face begin to wield its power over other people, men and women, I learned that I could use my looks as a glare to hide the drab and charmless grub that lived behind my eyes. At seventeen, I was lean and six foot three, a specimen in the making. I didn't have to try. But by thirty, I was tired and showing the drink, a breaking man with too much vanity and time on his hands. And so I did what idle, vain men do. I took supplements, and I joined a gym, flexing and ripping my besotted flesh six times a week until I got the body that only banned substances can build. And here I stand, at thirty-four, a perfect fake, the botched product of one of those boys' preparatory boarding schools where disheveled-haired, smooth-cheeked yachting models are bred, acquire their torsos on the swim team, and have been wearing designer loafers without socks since they were shitting themselves raw. I may not be one of the boys at heart, but I do a damn good impression all the same.
I've had years of practice, and I dress the part. Business casual, of course. The uniform for every middle-class white American male from six to sixty. Khakis and a button-down. A polo and cargo shorts in summer. Done. Workers of the world. We might as well be wearing burlap gray pajamas, marching every day to our salt mines of finance and information technology, hurrying home fully cocked, pharmaceutically if necessary, to pound our pixie-stick wives into fruition, so that when the next replica pops out, we'll be waiting at the door of the womb ready with the slip-ons, quipping to our, and only our, infinite delight, if the shoe fits. Jesus. Shoot me now. That's my pedigree, but not, I hope, my fate. So far, I've eluded the wife and family.